Welcome to Money Isn't Scary, a podcast for women to explore our fears around money and inspire each other to be financially empowered. I'm Megan Dwyer, and I'm making it my personal mission to remove the taboo around money and help women rewrite their stories so they can stop staying small and begin to live life on their terms. In this show, we get real and uncomfortable as we unpack our beliefs, thoughts, and behaviors that aren't serving us anymore. I can't wait for you to join me on this journey. So let's dive in. Hi, you guys. Welcome to another episode of the Money Isn't Scary podcast. I'm Megan Dwyer. Today, I am chatting with Jennifer Gray, a mental health therapist and business coach. Jennifer loves challenging and empowering financial professionals to confidently embrace who they are, create businesses, and actually enjoy their success. So much of that work involves setting boundaries, working through imposter syndrome, perfectionism, people-pleasing, all the things that I personally struggle with, and I know so many women out there do too. This was such an incredible and thoughtful conversation. Even though Jennifer focuses her work on helping financial professionals, so much of what we talk about today is universal to women in any industry. There are so many concepts that we all struggle with, no matter what the work is that we're actually doing. And the goal here is to help find balance and authenticity within our day-to-day and move through the overwhelm and celebrate our successes. I loved this conversation, you guys, and I know you're going to learn so much from it. So before we get into it, here's a little bit more about Jennifer. Jennifer Gray is a sought-after mental health therapist and expert coach, helping financial professionals develop bold confidence and a fulfilling business. Jennifer helps financial advisors smash the limits of perfectionism and self-doubt. With 20 years of education and experience in finance and behavior, she deeply understands the complexities of struggling with anxiety, burnout, people-pleasing, and limiting money beliefs as an entrepreneur. Her expertise has been featured in Forbes, as well as the Financial Planning Association. In our conversation, Jennifer and I talk about working through this idea of continuing to chase for more, values, intentions, redefining success on our terms, working through overwhelm, and how do we start small so we can get to the root of what's really going on, and so much more. You guys can find more from Jennifer at her website, jennifergraycounseling.com, and that's gray, G-R-A-Y. You can find her on Instagram, and you can also reach out to her directly if you're interested in, in one-on-one therapy and or business coaching. I am so excited to share this episode with you guys. So without further ado, here's my conversation with the amazing Jennifer Gray. Enjoy. Hi, Jennifer. Hello, Megan. Great to see you again. You too. Welcome to the Money Isn't Scary podcast. Take two. (laughs) For those out there listening, we tried this um, a few weeks ago and uh, it didn't didn't work out due to technical issues on my end, but but we're back and we're trying it again. So yeah, that's um, how life happens. Exactly. Yes. Good metaphor for life. So I'd love to have you introduce yourself, tell everyone a little bit more about you and the work that you do. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm Jennifer Gray. I'm a mental health therapist and business coach out here in Oregon. Um, I love challenging and empowering, especially financial professionals to really confidently embrace who they are, 
create fulfilling businesses that feel sustainable and also give back to them and go out and actually enjoy their success because that's part of why you're here doing all of this work is so you can enjoy your life. So, so much of that work includes helping people um, set boundaries for themselves, both professionally and personally, um, work around imposter syndrome, which is that icky lingering feeling that um, the achievements we accomplished, maybe we've just gotten them somehow out of luck and don't really deserve them. And oh gosh, someone might find that out and that could be really scary. Um, perfectionism, people pleasing. So lots of things that just get you caught up in your career and don't allow you to move forward in the way you want to. Um, so I want you to, to really develop something that feels just incredible. I love it. How, how did you start and why, this is a two-part question, I guess. How did you start and why financial professionals? Sure, yeah. Uh, well, kind of how I started and the why are sort of similar. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a, a wonderful blog about my story in detail on my website, but to give you the the specifics, tested out of a few um, courses in high school, took electives, which were psychology, sociology, and accounting was absolutely phenomenal at accounting, even though I enjoyed psychology and sociology quite a bit more. Um, And so, you know, naturally I went to graduates, uh, um, I went to bachelor's and got that in accounting, actually started my own business pretty quickly out of high school, just kind of helping some adult professionals in my neighborhood um, sort some things out after their partner had passed away. Uh, and that's when I really saw like, wow, money is super, super emotional. It really oh, is yeah. scary for people. Mm. Um, but I continued along my financial journey. I really love that. I worked with um, incredible businesses on Long Island um, that were doing s- such amazing things in their work, but also making incredible revenue as well. Um, but after a while, I just realized, you know, through my own personal journey, like I I wasn't fulfilled. Something felt like it was missing. I was really good at the financial world but it just didn't feel like um, it it really fulfilled me the way I wanted to. And so after some work, I decided to go back to graduate school, become a mental health professional. Um, And I would say it took me a couple of years to realize, oh, this whole other aspect of my life really could be brought into this world. um, And I could bring a really unique focus to this work. And so really exciting to say, you know what, after working some time just with entrepreneurs generally, um, really started to focus on financial professionals who especially were in their own business, Um, but even financial professionals just kind of out there in the corporate world as well. And so uh, I have a little bit of that unique perspective of what that work is like, but I also bring in the mental health and, and the business coaching to it. I think it's so needed that niche around financial professionals. So as a financial professional, having spent <laughs> Uh, 18 or so years in this industry, I certainly have my own, I guess, maybe insecurities or whatever you will call it, right? Or especially being a female in a very male dominated industry. And I think there's a lot mm-hmm. of uh, nuances specific. Of course, there's nuances specific to financial services. There is in every single field, right? But I guess one of the questions I have for you is what are some of those kind of common threads or maybe common um, issues that you see with financial professionals that they want to work through? And what are some of the tools and resources, I guess, that um, that you help them to do that? How do you help them move through it? Yeah, yeah. I, I think a major theme, like 
that is genderless that I seem to notice um, is really this idea of just continuing to chase for more. Mm. Um, I was actually just on a a financial Facebook group um, a few days ago, and I was realizing after this big conference that had happened, a lot of people were feeling kind of um, like comparison fear, like, wow, so many people are doing these amazing things or they're you know, generating this revenue that is out of this world. And they were feeling like, I need to be doing that. I need to be going for more. And at some point you have to ask yourself, but is that what you want? (laughs) Oh my God. Yes. (laughs) Personally though, personally, I, I have gotten to, that's kind of like the midlife crisis that I'm working through right now in my life. Right. I've, I have followed I've climbed the ladder. I've followed um, the proverbial rules. I've done everything that was a good little girl should do, right? Or a good girl should do. And and I've kind of worked my way up and I've gotten to this place now. And I feel so not stuck, but I guess confused on, you mm. know, do I really, what do I, do I really want that next step in my career? Do I want to be an owner of my firm? Do I want to be like, do I want that? Mm-hmm. And I feel like, again, you look everywhere you look around you to your point, it's everyone's doing all these amazing things and becoming partners and doing all this stuff. And I'm like, do I really want that? I don't know. I have two young kids at home and a lot of stuff to juggle. Right. So I'm, I know I'm taking this as like a case study for myself, but I think it applies. It's so, it's so important. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it's not only there's so many things that might be going on in your life that you might not be able to take on some other big step in your career, um, but also just considering like the values, like both professionally and personally, you know, if having a certain amount of money in your bank account is really important, then yeah, striving for something bigger might be important. But if spending a lot more time with your kids at the end of the day feels more yet you know valuable to you um then you're probably not going to want to take some of those bigger steps because they're going to require a lot not only time but energy and i think people sometimes forget about that piece you know it's not just how much money we can generate in our time but also what energy is that going to cost us yeah and, and one of the things that i talk about all the time is this notion of intention and and i don't think we really focus as much time on being intentional about our day-to-day and our next moves in life, right? Because we're just so focused on like the external definition of what success is, right? Which Mm -hmm. is, I think everybody has this underlying belief that success means more everything, more money, more fame, more whatever it is, right? Bigger house, bigger, right? Like more and bigger, right? And I don't think that that personally is is the definition for me of success, but it's taken a lot of work for me to get to that place. And it's taken a lot of kind of inner reflection and, and, and intention, just like I started to say. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's one of the things I just love challenging in this work is because especially in the financial field, like you're just constantly surrounded by money, your money, yeah. other people's yes. money, and you other compare. professionals' money. Absolutely, you compare. And, you know, you have such an intimate relationship with the clients that you work with because of that money piece. But also, you know, you don't necessarily know everything about their life or everything that they're going through. And so it's, it's you know, that comparison just gets so sticky. And I, and I think, 
yeah, it can be a really slippery slope when you're in the financial field and you're constantly faced with everyone else's um, successes, but also who knows if they're even happy, (laughs) you know, like, yeah, that's exactly it. I was just talking to a client who, um, had a, a large windfall from a lawsuit settlement and she got a lot of money and we're trying to work through how to handle it and what to do. And it, it was, it was really interesting because I was talking with another colleague and it was like, oh, and they were thinking of it as like, this is, th- this is like lottery winnings, but it's not. I mean, she's kind of struggling health wise. She's right. And so there's, you don't know what's actually going on in somebody else's life, but all we see it as is, oh my goodness, she just got a lot of money and that, that must be amazing. And she must be so happy, but there's so many more pieces to all of this. And I think that's kind of a universal lesson. Yeah. Yeah. And, and of course I don't want to go like into the case studies, but I'm sure. Oh, let's do it. I'll take an example. Probably. Yeah. Well, I'm sure you and probably a lot of our listeners like have heard the horror stories of people who win the lottery and, you know, don't properly take care of it because it's this idea of like, let me go buy a big house and let me go buy all these cars and not really understanding the fundamentals of not only how to take care of money and how to have that relationship in a healthy way, but also, what actually is important to me? Do I really want, you know, a 16 room house that I actually am not going to be able to maintain? Or, you know, I don't have any family to come and stay and enjoy the house with me. And so, again, coming back to this piece of what's important to us, how do we redefine that idea of what success is when the definitions around us might seem so different than ours? Yeah. How do you do that? How do you get your clients to get to that level? Because I know that this can be a vulnerable place to go to, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that the deeper we dive, the more, the scarier it can be because a lot mm-hmm. of stuff comes up like stories from childhood and beliefs and maybe trauma and things like that. So I is that where sort of your therapist background comes in to help with this process? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. We can, we can start with the basics of like a values exercise, which there's plenty of them online. Yes, yeah. I also have my own exercise to provide clients. That's just simple. Let's identify your five or 10 major values. But as you're identifying those values and something I have to continue to remind clients is let's identify the ones that are genuinely and authentically yours and which ones are being influenced by that outside narrative, what you learned as a kid, what your family thinks, what society thinks. And that's, like you said, that's where that trauma, that's where that difficulty, that's where that pain really tends to come up. Um, And so how do we face that in a really loving way, knowing that the reason we're facing it is so that we can have a better relationship, is that so that we can feel, um, you know, a level of fulfillment and and not continue to chase that outside, um, you know, outside win, if you will, of what everyone else thinks success is. Yeah, well, exactly. That's that's what it is. Like we were not taught right? To, to look inwards. We were not taught as kids, like, Hey, what are your values? Right. We're taught to compare ourselves to other kids. And that's all we want to do. All we want to do is fit in. Right. Mm -hmm. In my mind, I think at the, at the very basic core of all of it, we just want to be liked. We just want to fit in with the people around us. Right. And that's hard 
because we know logically as adults that there's that that's not going to happen. Not everybody's going to like everybody, right? But I think especially as as women, we that's sort of the idea, the the ideal that we're going for is this, you know, wanting everybody to like us. And I think that helps to kind of drive and motivate some of the the thought process around this stuff too. I mean, we I can't tell you the number of times I have made decisions, big decisions about my life because of people that don't even matter in my life, to be perfectly honest. You know what I mean? Like job changes mm-hmm. and things like that, because I was so afraid of disappointing other people or, um, you know, think little things that like are, that are actually big things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's, that's so key to know is like, how am I making these decisions based on people that really are not that important in my life if I really think about it, but I've just been so conditioned to be worried about what they're going to think and feel. Um, And that can be really difficult and sticky in those moments where you're making that decision based on that, that external pressure, you know, you often don't think of what the actual impact to you is going to be because what's more important is making these other people feel comfortable or, or in that making them like you again, that, that probably is the ultimate um, core worry is how do I get these people to like me? How do I even maybe get a sense of respect, which I think is a common thing for women in the financial world. You know, again, it's, it is so male dominated, um, if I'm not making a certain, you know, revenue, um, how am I going to discuss that with male counterparts who hold such a specific idea of what success is to them? Yeah. yeah. And one thing I will add is not even like the money or the revenue piece of it. What drives me and so many of my insecurities is this feeling that um, that I'm stupid which is probably very much tied into imposter syndrome that you you mentioned before, but I will sit in a room with a bunch of other men that are in theory at the same level, right? The same job description, same role as me and constantly feel inferior, constantly feel like I'm stupid because I don't know. That's a story I always tell myself, but I feel like, again, if I, if I'm telling myself this, then other women are too. And Mm -hmm. Men aren't sitting at, I'm going to guess, men aren't sitting in that same room thinking the same thing, or maybe they are and they just don't talk about it as much, but I, that's that's a big driving factor for me too. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really important to, to name, especially is because I think that can be kind of two ways is I feel stupid and that might be some internalized messages Oh yeah, based on yeah. being a woman, based on being in this field. But then also the reality is that, you know, we know that microaggressions happen. And so how much is that actually might also be reflected in that meeting um, where maybe people are talking over you or maybe, you know, you put out a um, really great idea and it's only applauded when another male colleague brings it up as well. And so I think it, it, it can go in a lot of different ways for women based on especially what those early messages are. Yeah. Um, But I think that can be um, also an important thing to note in in identifying what your definition of success is. You know, if you don't want to push your boundary farther and take that next big step because that fear is I'm stupid compared to kind of, you know, the the small population that's just around me, the local population that's around me. 
I think that's important to also identify as, oh, how might some of these unhealthy messages be keeping me from stepping into a place that might actually feel good as well? So I think it can go two ways. Yeah. Yeah. And I think just like breaking down those internalized messages from fact is like the biggest component to this, like the the self-awareness of knowing, hey, this is just my brain doing its thing, trying to protect me, right? Mm-hmm. But it's not actually serving me because there are no saber-toothed tigers running after me right now. It's just me in a in a you know a, a Zoom meeting with a bunch of colleagues. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely right. Yeah, where it's like nothing's actually prompting this fear and anxiety, but I'm probably just so used to it coming up for me in these instances. Um, and you're right, it is like how do we break down some of those internalized messages and show up in different ways. Um, and I think even just one step to even start that is like, how are, and and maybe it's a good question for you to even ponder, Megan, like how are people celebrating the things that are happening in their life, big or small? Like how are they reminding themselves of the things they have done in the world and the ways yeah. they have shown up? Um, because we can so easily forget that. Oh my you know? gosh. <laughs> I thank you for the reminder because this is something that I struggle with. I mean, I think we constantly focus on what I didn't do right, what's not going well. And if we actually do focus on like the things that are that did go well, we'll realize that there's more there than we even realize. I just I heard this recently on a podcast, and just in the last like week or two, I started telling my husband and my kids to do it. So so at the beginning of every day. We wake up and we're like, okay, today's going to be a good day. Instead of thinking about all the things swirling, all the stuff that we have to do. And then at the end of the day, like as your head hits the pillow or you're getting ready for bed or something, just say, what are three things that went well today? What are three things that I liked about today? And that helps too. I mean, it incorporates the gratitude piece, but it's easier said than done sometimes. And we don't do it every day. But I think to me, I just like encouraging not just the kids, but myself and my husband to focus on, hey, hey, it wasn't all that bad, <laughs> right? <laughs> right. I mean, there are more good things going on, even if it is a complete crappy day, right? There are good things going on in the world and in my life that kind of negate the the overall kind of negative feeling that, that we can sometimes just get in. I get in these funks all the time and I go kind of, you know, it's like a roller coaster. You go up and down, but like I get in these funks where I'm just like, okay, I can't do anything. Well, I'm not good at this today. And like, what am I even doing in this world? Right. So, uh, and again, I think those are all so common. We just don't talk about it. Yeah, no, those are absolutely, absolutely common. And the tough thing is like our brain is hardwired to look at negative things. And that's partly like our survival system is like, if I look at things that need to be done or need to be fixed or need to be aware of for, you know, I'm going to be able to keep myself safe and keep myself moving forward and perhaps even be in, you know, part of that evolutionary process. But the reality is in our modern world, like you said, we're not being faced with so much threatening stuff in reality for the responses that we're having. And so it is important to practice that gratitude or practice that like healthier, maybe positive thinking, even on the days you really don't want to, because just like exercise, if we don't continue to build that muscle, it's not going to happen. If we're not consistent with it, it's not going to be 
able to pick up the heavy thing when we really need it to. And so being able to like stick it out, you know, telling your kids, oh, you may be rolling your eyes at your gratitude list today, but just do it anyway and know that it's going to help you just a little bit more tomorrow. And I think remembering that like it is the consistent process, whether I feel good in this moment about it or not, it's that consistency. We also need to, you know, sometimes I just feel like I'm so mean to myself. I am hardest on myself than more so than anybody else. So that's where like the self-compassion piece has to come in to this too. Like, yeah, I sent an email with a spelling mistake or I sent a calendar invite with the wrong time. Oops. You know, I mean, I, these are things that uh, Megan of a year ago or two years ago would have beat herself up over and been like, you are so stupid, Megan. I can't believe you just did that. Right. But now I'm just like, okay, that's annoying that happened, but everybody does it. Everybody does it. And you're doing like, again, kind of that coaching myself, like, you've got a lot on your plate right now, Megan, there's a lot going on and, um, things are going to happen. It's not going to always go smoothly or perfectly. And that's, that's the challenge as a recovering perfectionist. I want it to kind of fit into this little box and I want to perform in this, a certain way. And we're human Mm -hmm. (laughs) by nature of human, we're, we're flawed and we're not perfect and we're going to make mistakes. Right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It is. It's, you know, I think perfectionism is probably one of like the hardest mentalities to break because we are um, so conditioned to it in so many ways and so many different aspects of our society, not just like our own, our own childhood family messages. Um, And that can be really painful because it's, it really is connected to our sense of security and oftentimes a sense of self-worth if we haven't maybe had a healthy relationship with that. And gosh, it can really make you show up in ways that just do not make sense. And I think, what is it? Someone, I know it's been said a bunch of times, like no one can be meaner to me than I am to myself. Mm -hmm. And I think that's just so key for us to recognize, like we can really beat ourselves up over such simple, small things. Um, And it's important to know like whether that guilt is healthy or not healthy guilt. Like if we're, if we're living to an expectation that's way too high, um, is not sort of realistic in society. Like you said, I'm beating myself up because I sent the wrong time in an email. That's a sense of unhealthy guilt. You, You can know that that's something, um, there's some old messages that need to be unpacked there and is not a sense of guilt that is true and needs to be, um, you know, had a corrective experience around. And so, I understand it can be so difficult coming out of that behavior for sure. Yeah. It's a work in progress. It's practice and Mm -hmm. it's, I've gotten better, but I'm by no means. And I don't think there is an end. There's no like end goal here. There's no like crossing the finish line. This is like just living every day and, Mm -hmm. and how we want to, it's a relationship, a relationship with ourselves. Just like, you know, we have relationships with uh, so many other things in our lives. It's the same concept. Yeah, absolutely. You had mentioned earlier case studies. I I would love if you could, you know, provide an example or two of just some of these types of clients situations, you know, what you don't have to go into too much depth, but, you know, an example of a client that approached you where they were at, at that point, and then sort of what they've been able to work through personally and where you've seen them kind of come out the other side. Do you have any kind of like good good examples of, I guess, the the work in play 
and how it, it's it's implemented in somebody's life. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, one thing that always comes up for me is a, a client I love working with. And I, I this comes up for me, especially not because they're a wonderful client. Um, all my clients are wonderful, of course, but um, it's because this is such a common issue. And, and in some ways, the resolutions, or at least the immediate resolutions can be so simple. It's clients coming in with just complete overwhelm. Yeah, I have no time for myself. I'm trying to operate a business. I'm trying to have a relationship. Maybe I'm family planning. Like there's so many aspects going on. The reality is that oftentimes they're overworking themselves. They don't have healthy boundaries. And so this one client, um, one of the immediate things we looked at was how do we make adjustments to your schedule? How do we pick some times in your calendar um, that are specific for client meetings and are specific for you getting other work done? So maybe Clients get to see you Thursdays and Fridays, and those are the times you are going to schedule client meetings, unless there's some emergency, perhaps you're willing to extend that boundary. But other than that, those other days are for your financial planning, for your administrative tasks. Maybe they're just because you need a day off (laughs) yeah, and you need to take a break in the few hours your kids are going to be at school. And so really recognizing how, how can I make some shifts in my schedule? Um, And I think one of the first things that came up for this client was just this panic that all of her clients were just going to fire her. Like that was it. She was going to say, I only have these days to have meetings going forward. Yeah. Um, And all, all of her clients were going to be like, I'm out. That's it. Well, it's terrifying Mm -hmm. to actually put your needs ahead of others. It's Mm -hmm. terrifying. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) I hear that. Absolutely. And But again, that's such a conditioned message. And what's funny, and this happens, and I don't mean funny in, in, you know, I, again, I know it's such a difficult process to go through, but it's funny in the sense that is so common. The response is that most clients are like, good for you. That's so amazing that you would take those boundaries for yourself. And if anything helps to model for them, how maybe I could be showing up in my life a little bit differently, which also makes me think about my professional relationships and my relationships with money as well. And so it's such like a sort of domino effect of of, um, changes that happen from you just saying, I'm just going to make some shifts in my schedule and see how I can open some things up that just gives me like a little bit more flexibility. And I find too, that if you don't have a coach or somebody like you kind of forcing somebody to do it, it's not going to get done. I, mm-hmm. I know that personally. And mm-hmm. I know that I'm, it's just so easy to fall back into old patterns. And I get, we all get it logically, right? We understand that how much this is going to help us rationally, right? In mm-hmm. our lives. But the actual implementation of it is so hard. And absolutely, I, I always find this so interesting. Like, what is it that makes it so much harder? And, and, and again, I think that comes down to mindset. It comes down mm-hmm. to, um, really the the internal motivation and how we're thinking about it. Um, but having a supportive person to help you along that process so that you, to give you the accountability that you need in order to make these things happen that are going to be better for you in the long run is so important. <laughs> it needs to, I think, I think that's, that's a crucial step. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think those are two key things. One is that mind shift. 
like uh, that mindset shift is how do I start looking at these changes I'm going to make in a way that is, it is benefiting me so that I can also show up more for these clients. That means so much to me in this work. And in knowing that you're, you stop making that decision based off, am I going to upset these people? It's, you know, am I really going to lose these clients? You stop basing it off of this, this fear narrative that happens. And then the other piece, yeah, is sometimes we can have the best of intentions. We can have the strongest of mindset shifts in, you know, that we think of. And the reality is we try to put it into practice and it just doesn't happen. A client says, oh, I want to have a meeting on Tuesday. And we quickly, you know, say yes without really questioning it. Um, And that can be tough, but you know, sometimes, yeah, go to a professional, maybe there is some, um, you know, uh, strong narratives that need to be challenged for you. But also sometimes just connecting with a colleague, you'd be surprised, again, how many other people are experiencing this might not even be talking to it. And so sometimes, um, especially with my financial clients, I really do encourage them to be more open with their colleagues about some of these pieces. Um, And I think the the feeling is don't do that again, because of everything we've talked about, the perceptions of everyone else. Um, But the more you do, the more you realize like, oh, other people are actually dealing with this too. And maybe now I can have like a buddy in this. (laughs) And that's the biggest piece of um, the self-compassion part is this like common humanity and knowing that you are not alone. I feel like, Mm -hmm. again, I'm, I'm being vulnerable and sharing this too, but I feel like in so many things that I'm going through, I'm the only one going through it. I am the only one out there that's in this exact same boat that's struggling in this way. And that's not the case. It's just that we don't talk about it enough and we don't put ourselves out there enough because it's scary. It's scary mm-hmm. to admit that you are struggling. It's scary mm-hmm. to admit that you're not perfect. It's that there's so much fear there. Again, all stemming back to, I think this like need to be liked, which to be honest, is a little ass backwards because most people like you more if you're relatable, right? But mm-hmm. yet we get this idea in our heads that we have to be perfect to be liked. Absolutely. Yeah. It it, it's com- it's completely backwards, you know, and what is uh, celebrated when we're younger is actually being similar to each other is not having those unique individual differences. And so we're kind of trained from a pretty young age, unless we have some pretty strong parental messages to just homogenize and be similar. And then you do start to realize like, this doesn't feel good. I don't feel very fulfilled in the world. And the more you can start to show up as your unique self with your unique experiences, the more actually you attract people that feel so much better into your community. Yeah. It's so messed up. Like I, I I went through that. I'm still going through that with when I started this podcast, but you know, as I'm starting to do some more marketing and engage in social media and putting myself out there more, I realize how terrifying it actually is because I'm like, well, the pictures aren't the best and I had gained weight and when she took them and I don't know the right phrases to, I don't know the right language. I don't know the right hashtags. I don't know any of this. And like, I've just been doing it kind of messy and scrappy, but I, it's like this, this internal pressure to, um, to feel like we have to have it figured out, to feel like we have to have mm-hmm. it done beautifully in order for people to like us. And I, I think that 
it, it's it's all wrong. It's just so backwards because I personally don't want like to be friends with somebody who's perfectly curated. I mean, how many times do we see, like, I think about it, like, you know, you see the other moms at the playground and the the mom's wearing her, like, you know, she's showered first of all, and she's <laughs> wearing like the super cute outfit and she's got all the accessories and everything. And you're like literally in your pajamas. And I just, I feel so intimidating, right? Mm-hmm. You don't want to approach mm-hmm. somebody and be like, hi, can we be friends when you... <laughs> literally you know look like you just rolled out of bed it's just it's uncomfortable but it I feel like it should be the other way around right I mean the the more the more kind of normal every day the more approachable you are I think Mm -hmm. absolutely yeah yeah I do think that message is shifting in our society like I feel like the last few years especially like the idea of being yourself has become much more sort of socially popular. Yeah. yeah. Um, but that doesn't change most people's mentality about things. So yeah, I would imagine it would be difficult to walk up to someone that seems like the the you know importance that they hold about how how they perceive themselves in the world just doesn't really vibe with you. But yes. you know, Megan, I think I said this to you when when we first met, like that's one of the things I loved about your podcast is that you are just like, I'm here to be messy. And that's actually life. Like that's yeah. where we learn who we are and how to navigate things and how to feel fulfilled is when we allow that messiness to just be a part of who we are because the reality is that it's going to be there. That's just part of being human. And so, yeah, thank you. First of all, and second <laughs> of all, I mean, just to know that it's it, it, a, it's normal and, and b that it's okay being messy. I mean, that's a lesson again, as a recovering perfectionist, that's a lesson that has taken me a really, really, really long time to learn. And I'm still learning it, but to like, I realized that like life is messy and we're living in the mess. It's never going to be like, okay, life starts when I've accomplished these six goals and I bought the house with the white picket fence and I have the two and a half kids and the dog and all of that stuff. Right. And Yeah. And, and, you know, I've got the job and my husband has the job and whatever it is that, again, you have this like image in your head of what, of what is, of what life is or what life should be. It's, um, I've just realized it's not that, and it never is. And it, and it won't be for, and it isn't for anybody. And anybody who tries to make you think that it is, is Mm -hmm. just fooling themselves because they live in the messy middle too. And they may hate it just as much as I do, but we have to learn how to live there, how to, this is one of my favorite phrases, get, be comfortable with being uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and to give grace to some of those people, like they are just stuck in fear. Like a lot of us are, you know, this idea that, oh, if I just get these things, then I'll be happy. Then I'll feel good. Then people will love me. But yeah, you miss out on so much of like, the journey of life, like the yeah. journey in life happens in it, not at some end goal that we're supposed to reach because, and this is a, a thing I talked to a lot of my clients about once you reach that end goal, guess what? That goal has now been pushed back <laughs> and that fulfillment you have been working years to get sometimes is just not there and it's yeah. switched to something else. And that's because that fulfillment comes with inside. It doesn't come you know, from all of these external things. And that's why you have to be messy. 
Right. And, and again, I feel like I fell into this field because that was the way I was wired. So I bet a lot of other financial professionals in this field are just like that. They don't like messy. They, because, Mm -hmm. Hey, we're financial people, right? We like numbers. We like Mm -hmm. to make sure everything ties. We love Excel spreadsheets. We want to make sure that we can prove things to ourselves and you just can't prove there's no right or wrong in life. Like you cannot prove, right. Mm -hmm. You just, you just, there's nothing to prove. And once you yeah. kind of recognize that there's nothing to prove, you're like, wait a minute, what did I spend my whole life trying to do? <laughs> right? Um, you're like, gosh, now I wish I yeah. could go back. <laughs> yeah. I say this all the, all the time, actually, like the pr- prime example of what you just described as like, you know, the goalposts always moving. I, uh, when I was, uh, it was like tw- 2009. So I was like, or, you know, mid twenties, I signed up for, um, to run a marathon because I told myself if I can run a marathon, I can do anything. That's like a bucket list. Check it off the list. Right. Like just another accomplishment that I can, that I can say that I did. And I, I, and I remember feeling like if I finish this, I will be so proud of myself. I've like, I can feel content. Right. And did I No, of course not. Well, I finished it and I was like, I want to do it again. I want to beat my time. I want to do this. Like the goalposts are always moving. And that's just like, the nature of humans. I feel like Mm -hmm. we're always Mm -hmm. competitive with ourselves more than anybody else. And a lot of times we'll project that out onto other people, but it's, it's, it's the inner competition. That's like, when is enough enough? When am I going to be good enough? Right. Yeah. 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 And, and in some ways it's like, I think I definitely agree. It is important to ask that question. Like what is enough for me? Like, how do I know when I, I feel fulfilled to the degree I want to. Um, and I also think it's important to, you know, really explore like in that in that race, trying to figure out what is important to me, what is going to get me to that next goal line. Um, but then you get there and the goal line moves like you really have to figure out what is enough for me. Do I want to continue the the race of the next thing, the next thing, the next thing? Right. It's never ending. It's, mm-hmm. it's like you're, what is it? What's the, 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 the psychology term that's like, you're chasing something, the horse with the carrots. Is that it? It's uh, ch- yes. I, I know what you're talking about. Yep. Mm-hmm. It's like, you're chasing something that you will never get. You will mm-hmm. never get an answer. You will never get to that end. Like you there there's, it's, it's like, it's constantly moving and it's, and once you recognize that it almost opens up so much room for freedom from, for you. It, it just, to me, it just, it, it's such a relief in a way that you just don't have to keep, you just don't have to keep pushing anymore. You don't have to, because it's exhausting. And that's, I think, again, why so many people, women, moms, financial professionals, all of which I can relate to why we all burn out. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think the push to, to grow, achieve both personally and professionally is just so strong and we don't do it in a way that is sustainable and that's why we burn out. Um, But I think it can be useful because I I think inherently as humans, like we always want to grow, we always want to better ourselves. And so having that idea of what is enough for me is important, but I think also, you know, it can be useful in, in an act of that self-compassion you know, when you're um, looking at your gratitudes for the, the day to say, what were a couple of things that maybe I could have shown up differently around or I could have um, 
been even more graceful with myself and how can I do that differently? And so in that way, you're kind of taking control of that push in a way that isn't like this external, let me, you know, get the next house or the next car or whatever it is. It's like, how do I just grow a little for myself and, you know, explore those things in a way that's really gentle and curious and compassionate, not why am I such an idiot? I did that. You know, I think that can be yeah. really useful to pair those things. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that's like just such a great way to kind of sum up everything that we've been talking about. So with that, you know, I, I could talk to you all day long. Um, this has just been such a fun, insightful conversation, but it is time to wrap up. So um, mm-hmm. with that, could you tell everybody a little bit more about how they can find you and and mm-hmm. follow the work that you're doing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can find me on my website, jennifergraycounseling.com. That's G-R-A-Y is my last name. Uh, I'm also on Instagram, although to be fair, I don't post very often. It's Jennifer Gray Confidence Coach. Um, You can reach out to me for therapy if you're in Oregon, if you're coaching anywhere else in the state. um, I can work with you in that capacity. You do virtual Um, coaching? I do. Yes. Yeah. I'm only currently virtual right now. Um, the coaching is much more uh, strategic, much more goal oriented. You're not going to spend as much time kind of floating in things um, that is more for a therapy capacity. And so, yeah, love working with clients, especially female financial professionals. So come find me. Oh, well, we just had a therapy session right now, didn't we? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, we'll have to do some more. I I love this. This was so fun. And um, we'll we'll have to talk again soon. This will be this. Absolutely. This is going to be great to put out there into the world. So I know everyone's going to enjoy it. Yeah, absolutely. I really appreciate chatting with you. It's always a great time. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. 